0: In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. Beautiful to see you all here. So uh, yesterday I was at a party and this, I met this lady who had heard about me from a mutual friend and she said, Oh, you're that Episcopalian priest, uh, pastor, I don't know. And I said, yeah, both are correct, that's good. And, and then she said, you know, I can never stay awake during a sermon. <laughs> she said, it doesn't matter if the sermon is really good or really bad. It's just, there's just something about sitting inside, you know, and listening to somebody talk. I just go out like a light. And I said, I completely understand. I fall asleep during my own sermons all the time. (laughs) And then she said, you know, the outdoors is my cathedral. That's really where I find peace. And I said, I know, right? Me too. And of course, I find God in church as well. They're not mutually exclusive, you know. I cannot begin to count the number of conversations I've had like this over the years. So often the person I'm talking to seems to think they are mutually exclusive, that you're either the kind of person who finds God on a mountaintop or in the woods, or you're the kind of person who finds God in a sleepy, old, boring church. Thank God it's not that binary. I've even heard it said that God can be found in soup kitchens and in hospital rooms and prison cells and even, I dare say, in strip malls and office cubicles, even the DMV. (laughs) I had the most profound conversation with this guy at the DMV a while ago. It is my hope that one day I'll be able to say with complete sincerity, that I can catch a glimpse of God in every place and in every circumstance that I find myself. In fact, all my life, you know, that's all I've ever wanted, to feel that divine connection with the heart of reality wherever I happen to be. Turning page. (laughs) I keep thinking that, you know, if I can just peel away all the things in my brain that keep me from seeing God clearly, if I could just rid myself of all the layers of delusion and distraction and desire, all of my attachments and preferences and projections that distort my vision of what's in front of me, if I could just let go of all of my self-consciousness and my ego and just be, you know, wherever I am, if I could just take that one simple, perfect breath and open myself fully to God's reality as it is, then I will have finally gained my place among the great spiritual masters of all time and finally be done with this whole business. (laughs) Which, of course, just goes to prove how far I have to go. Even my pursuit of egolessness is driven by my ego. But every once in a while, I'd say on average about every seven to ten years, I do manage to get out of my way just long enough to take, well, not a perfect breath, but a pretty good breath anyway, only to discover that and I've got another breath to take right after that. And then there's another one, and it just keeps going. It's kind of like when I was a golfer back in Michigan. Actually, Bill Lupfer and I used to play a lot of golf together. And every once in a while, I would hit a perfect shot off the tee. And it would go. the ball would go straight and true up into the blue sky, and the sun would catch it white and dazzling, and it would land right in the middle of the fairway, an easy layup for par, maybe a birdie. And I would think to myself, you know, Jack Nicholas could not have hit that any better. <laughs> and I would savor this delicious delusion that i had finally found the secret of a perfect golf swing. It was so easy. And then I would get to the ball and I would take the next swing and, of course, hook it right into the water. But of course, if Jesus were with me on the golf course, he would watch me hook my shot into the water. And while I cursed, he would smile and say, well, did you see that? That was just the perfect hook shot. (laughs) Did you see the surprising angle it took? Amazing, and look at the beautiful concentric rings that occur when it makes that splash in the water. In other words, Every breath is a perfect breath. Every moment, God is completely available to us, and it has nothing to do with our skill at anything. It has to do with the fact that God inhabits every particle of this physical realm. God lies at the heart of all reality and is constantly calling us toward it. In fact, I'm beginning. To prefer the word, along with Evelyn Underhill, the great mystic, I'm beginning to prefer the word reality over the word God. Reality is our ultimate judge. Reality calls us to choose truth over lies. Reality calls us to value science over mere opinion. Investigative journalism over state propaganda. Honest humility <clears throat> over the self-aggrandizing postures of politicians. I never imagined a day when the defense of reality would seem controversial. But apparently it is now, just this morning I read in the New York Times, that hundreds of scientific studies around the country are being canceled. Suddenly, it seems, we don't want to know about the effects of chemicals on pregnant women. We're no longer comfortable with the science on mercury and arsenic in our drinking water. So we're simply rewriting the standards. Scientists who dare to link climate change with invasive insects are having their funding yanked out from under them. Now, I don't want to get off on a rant or anything, but this is rather alarming because an assault on science is an assault on truth, and an assault on truth is nothing less than an assault on God. But, you know, theologians maybe at some point disagreed on this topic, and it was not always so obvious. Two thousand years ago, it wasn't obvious at all that we could find God in physical reality. In fact, in the time of Jesus, there was this great debate being waged over where exactly one did find God. Some insisted that God had nothing to do with this material world. God was too pure, too abstract, too ideal to be sullied by physical reality. For people who believed that, God was found by escaping from this world, not entering more deeply into it. God was found in the wonderful mythologies of Greece or Rome or in the delirious ecstasies of mystery religions and temple prostitutes. God was found in the soothsayers, in the trances and in dreams. God was certainly not found in the mud and muck of a manger or in the unplanned pregnancy of a young peasant woman. And then Jesus was born and everything changed. It took a while to sort it all out, but eventually we began to realize if God can be found in the life of an obscure prophet wandering around in some remote corner of the empire, if God can be found in someone who eats with sinners and blesses lepers and speaks well of Samaritans, well then just maybe God can be found anywhere. Which of course is why this morning's gospel reading, the famous prologue to John's gospel, is said to be one of the most profound pieces of scripture ever written. Because it makes this audacious claim, all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. In other words, everything in the entire creation bears the imprint of God. God is written into the very DNA of creation. Every particle, every stone, every tree, every cell. There's no place where you can escape God. There's no palace, no bunker, no mansion where God is not calling us into simple recognition of reality. My friend Ruben Habido is a former Jesuit priest who Uh, was sitting in a Zen retreat in Japan uh, in the 1960s, and he had this awakening. He says, I came to see the creation as an ever-present wonderment, an ever-present wonderment, with every breath, every step, every smile, every leaf, every flower, every raindrop, realized as literally as nothing but the grace-filled gift from the infinite and ever-flowing divine love. For me, that's a pretty great interpretation of this claim made in John's Gospel. God is an ever-present wonderment with every breath, every raindrop. Some contemplatives call this the suchness of reality. The suchness of of reality, the ways in which the creation reveals itself as infinitely interconnected and super-saturated with love. But you know, you you, you don't need to be a a fire-breathing Roman Catholic Zen master to encounter this reality. This morning we gathered in Stern's library to read Truman Capote's perfect little short story called a christmas a christmas memory it's this autobiographical piece about growing up very poor in the rural south he was all of seven years old and his best friend is a distant cousin who lived with them she was in her 60s and she was as sensitive and as eccentric as he was so they were best friends in one of the final scenes in the story, they have gone down to a meadow on a sunny Christmas morning. He writes, they're, they're, they've gone down to this meadow to fly kites on a sunny Christmas morning. And he writes, there, plunging through the healthy waist-high grass, we unreel our kites, Feel them twitching as the string, like skyfish as they swim into the wind. Satisfied, sun-warmed, we sprawl in the grass and watch our kites cavort. Then, her, then his friend cries out, my, how foolish I am. And she says she's suddenly alert like a woman remembering too late that she has biscuits in the oven. She says, you know what I've always thought? I've always thought a body would have to be sick and dying before they saw the Lord. And I imagined that when he came, it would be like looking at the Baptist window, pretty as colored glass with the sun pouring through, such a shine you don't know it's getting dark. And it's been a comfort to think of that shine taking away all the spooky feeling, But I'll wager it never happens. I'll wager at the very end of a, at the very end, a body realizes the Lord has already shown himself, that things as they are, her hand circles in a gesture that gathers clouds and kites and grass and Queenie, their dog, pawing earth over her bone. Just what we've always seen, we were seeing him. As for me, I could leave the world with today in my eyes. As for me, I could leave the world with today in my eyes. I'd like to believe that on any given day, I could leave the world with today in my eyes. Today, you are in my eyes. This is in my eyes. This air, this light, this room filled with wonderment. May we never fail to find God in this today and in every today that follows. Amen.